to our series, Maximum Marriage, Redeeming the Time Brothers podcast, a podcast by Gene Kissinger and Norman Kissinger, two brothers who spent their lives in ministry and raising large families. Our desire is to provide a digital place for those to long to belong. And as a part of that, we'd like to provide tools to help Christians live out their Christian faith in their day-to-day life. And one of those big issues is how do you get married? How do you stay married? How do you have a happy marriage? a lot of people are uh, they say that marriage the old joke is that marriage are like flies on a screen door the ones on the outside want in and the ones on the inside want out <laughs> I know that's a stupid joke it's all I know is preacher joke but anyway I want to talk to you about marriage and what we can do to make a, a maximum marriage this is out of John Maxwell's book of the same name it was a series of Sunday school classes that I did some years ago and I'd like to revisit the issue I think we could all use help in our marriage. Maybe the one of the things that happened as a result of COVID and people being tucked into their homes more is a lot of marriages begin to sense that there were stress fractures within the relationship. In other words, they found out there were some problems that they had been successfully running from, but they hadn't dealt with. Now, last week, if you remember, what we talked about was that the two basic things you can get into is one is competition where you're competing with one another and the other model is completion where you complete each other remember how I talked to you about how brother O'Donnell my uh, my good friend who pastors over in Twin Falls who's also got a master's in counseling and he has the he will have the the couple try to pull his his hands apart when he's like this and they do it fairly easily but when he gets his hands like this they can't do it because they're interconnected when we work on completing each other instead of competing with each other, we begin to move into that place of oneness, which is kind of what we dealt with a little bit this last week. We'll focus on that more as we make our way through the series, but I want us to begin to have victory in this thing called marriage, and God wants us to have victory in this thing called marriage. Now, the verses that we're going to work out of is in 1 John chapter 1, verses 4 through 10, but I'm going to read them at the end of the lesson because they will fit better there. Typically, I like to start out with the verses that we're using, but I, I, they, they're gonna, you're going to understand them more uh, at the end. They actually flow better there. So, we're always complaining that we've got too little time. And uh, one of the things that you need to understand is God gives everybody 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. We all have exactly the same amount of time. And so sometimes we, what we mean when we say, I don't have time, is whatever it is that I don't have time for, it's not a priority. Now, here's the thought that occurred to me about the most marriages in modern-day America. Most of them have not done one single thing, spent one hour, done one activity that has the intent and purpose of making their marriage better. They do everything else. They've got all kinds of hobbies and activities and plans and things, but they've not actually invested any time in spending, reading any books or listening to any seminars on marriage or going to a marriage counselor. Most people haven't done anything to make their marriage better except maybe complain about it. Well, that's unacceptable. What that means is, and sometimes, especially us guys, we'll say, well, I just don't have time for that. Well, you've got 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days out of the year. Of course you have time for it. If you decide to make time for it, if it's a priority. 
know, we always make think, make time for the things that are a priority for us. And one of the things that I've found is that I can make time to do a lot of things once they're a priority in my life. But there are certain things that have to be even more of a priority than others. Now, some of the things is we sort of get first things first and order and prioritize things. Why do we do that? Well, it's triage for one thing. Um, I, you, you've heard the term triage before, no doubt. Triage comes from the French word for three, tray, and it comes out of the medical community, particularly the mobile army medical surgical hospitals that were in Vietnam and Korea. And one of the things that they found was when soldiers were coming in, you couldn't just treat them in order, in the order that they came in, because sometimes a lesser wound would come in sooner than a more serious wound. And if you didn't triage them, order them one, two, three, then you wouldn't deal with those more important ones or those more critical ones. And people were dying at a higher rate when they didn't do triage. So it, prioritization in, in marriage and dealing with these subjects of marriage means that we work on first things first. And we understand priorities and we execute those priorities. So what is our very first priority? Now this may surprise you. Your first priority is God, not your mate. You have to have a right relationship with God. If you don't have a right relationship with God, you will never have a right relationship with anybody else on the planet because you are at war with your creator. You're at war with your designer. And so until you repent and believe because the kingdom of God is at hand, you will simply not have a wonderful marriage because you are not right with the one who designed marriage or designed you or designed your mate. So first things first, if we're going to have a maximum marriage, is we've got to get our, our relationship with our designer right. Um, so after we talk about that, and that what that does too is that open up opens up the door for God to do supernatural things within the relationship. Because there's, some, there's something about the marriage relationship that's so close and so intense that it requires supernatural intervention to make it flow the way that it's supposed to. And so I'm, if I'm going to get God's divine favor in my relationship, I've got to have a right relationship with Him, which means I've repented of my sins. I, I've uh, believed that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I've confessed Him as Lord and Savior. And then I'm growing in that saved relationship with Him. And I'm allowing Him to speak to me moment by moment where he is making me into the man that I need to be so that I can be the husband that I need to be for my wife. But if I don't have a relationship with him, then I'm not in the process of becoming a good man. And if I don't become a good man, I will not be a good husband. Can't be. So, same is true with women. They, they, they're not going to be a good wife or a good mother if they're not in right relationship with God the Father. When they're right with the designer, God's supernatural flow of power and wisdom can come into the relationship itself. Now, your second priority is your mate. Uh, so they're not number one in your book. They're number two because they are after God. When God is number one and you're following his will, then he unleashes his divine favor in your life. And then you have the ability to be able to interact with your mate the proper way or the right way. So she's number two. He's number two. Now what some men do is they try to slip their career into this second, pl this second place uh, and then sort of let the family catch as catch can. What some women do is they either put career or family 
family or children in that place and then everything else is sort of catch as catch can. Well, that doesn't work. If you have that wrong priority, if, if both the husband and the wife have some other external priority besides the marriage itself, that marriage as the second priority overall in their lives will, will not be like this. It'll be split because they're headed two different directions. And now, now generally the third priority is the children. Uh, again, uh, often the husband or the wife will put something else ahead of the children, but that they do have a place, and that place is that third place where the marriage is before the children. You need to get that. The marriage is more important than the children. Why? Because that shows them what they're aiming towards. When they, they need to see a model of what intimate marriage relationship looks like so that when they grow up, they have something that they can aim at uh, down the road. They have a biblical pattern that they can follow. Now, that, when I say that they're third, that, that, that doesn't mean that somehow you neglect them or reject them or any of that nonsense. What I'm talking about is you make the, the marriage relationship the priority after God and then the children come after that. And as that mindset is there, then you're able to spend proper time relating to each other. And, and one of the best things that you can do for your children is love their mother as you love their mother or love their father, then that shows them what real love looks like in the context of day-to-day -day living. Because look, when you're in the dating scene, love, love kind of looks different than it does in the marriage thing. In marriage, love is about putting somebody else first. Love is about serving the other person. It's not just about flowery words that you say. It's about sacrificing what maybe you would want for what the other person needs in their life. And so and when the kids see that, then they understand what real love looks like rather than what this fraudulent junk the world tries to perpetrate on everybody. I mean, the world's a mess. And so as we're talking about marriage, we need to understand that God is first and God and you, your relationship with him, that's the priority relationship overall then your mate, then your children, then your work comes after that. That's vocation. Uh, that's what you do to make a living, how you, how you earn a paycheck and put food on the table, uh, bring home the bacon and cook it up in a pan, so to speak. But then the fifth priority are your relationships outside though. Now, if you're single, uh, these are very important. Uh, because, but even as a married couple, though, these friendships, relationships outside the home, uh, they're very important because God designed us where we're social creatures and so he designed us where we interconnect with others and I would say to the singles that are there you need to make certain that your friends outside the home pick quality friends that because really one of the one of the quotes that I've heard is who you are five years from now will will be the average of your top five friends what they're like and so if we don't pick godly uh, godly friends outside of the home then we will literally degrade and, and go backwards we'll backslide we'll go the wrong way and so we need to be careful that we pick good friends now and we certainly need to have outreach where we where we maybe spend some time trying to help somebody that's not a believer that's going the wrong direction but we need to be careful that our close intimate uh, friendships are, are with those that are believers that are headed the right way so now one man came into a marriage council and he said, my job is number one, my wife is number two. And the marriage counselor said to him, and that serves why you're sitting in that chair, because you have placed something else ahead of your mate. Uh, now, God can be ahead of your mate, but your job can't be ahead of your mate. 
In other words, you need to be willing to walk away from whatever it is that you're doing if it would benefit the marriage or save the marriage or make the marriage work properly. But you can't, you, you can't uh, somehow put any other human relationship ahead of that marriage relationship. Now, studies have shown that consistently performing excellence on your job, being married is a help to that, not a hindrance to it. And being married and having a good, successful family at home will help you at work because you have those bigger issues settled and now work has its proper priority and you're not moving around in stress and fretting and panic. And so we need to be certain, how, what does this look like, this prioritization in our day-to-day -day life. We need to be certain that our, our Google Calendar has family stuff on it that, that, is, that is put in before just everything else in the world. Sometimes we, we see if we can sort of kind of squeeze every, our wife or our kids into this Google Calendar and we need to make certain that they're pri priority number two after God. Um, now here's the this, this most important priority we want to spend the remainder of our time talking about. This is this supernatural factor of bringing God into this marriage relationship, or if you're single, into all of your relationships. But the supernatural factor is absolutely necessary if we're going to pull off God's plan for marriage. Remember, it's not his plan for marriage. It's not her plan for marriage that matters. It's what is God's plan for marriage. That's what we need to be shooting at. Uh, not not just what are so why do we need this supernatural factor within this marriage relationship number one is to absolve guilt now we're going to talk about that we're going to break that down in just a minute but the second thing is to apply glue it, it helps to hold the two individuals together the two become one um, and and that there's a sense of permanence that's there in in genesis uh, chapter 3 where the first marriage is performed by God in the Garden of Eden with the angels watching on. Uh, they had the very perfect officiant for the wedding, God himself, who never stumbled or stuttered. They, they had the, the, the most beautiful uh, wedding entourage and party, the angelic presence uh, were around them. And, and as they were married, God talked to them uh, about oneness, about permanency, uh, about severing themselves from other relationships that might control them, uh, about uniting themselves together in a sense of permanence that was there. That's applying the glue. There's going to be times in your marriage relationship that what holds you together is God. Because there's going to be some tough whitewater moments. Have you ever been whitewater rafting? I got friends that do it and they took me from Anderson Ranch Dam down to Lucky Peak Dam. And I got to tell you, it was terrifying, man. I'm, I'm an old boy that likes to feel dirt under my feet. That was, uh, there were stretches of the river that were very pretty and placid, and it just sort of flowed along. But there were this other Maytag kind of things that just tossed you around and just about flung you out of the boat. And one of the things that they had me do, of course I had a life vest on, which uh, I wouldn't have gotten the boat without that, and they wouldn't have let me in it without it. But uh, there are ropes that are kind of around the interior of the raft, and I got to tell you, dude, I was holding on to that rope. I mean, I was holding on with both hands, white knuckling it all the way down. And the only thing that kept me in that silly thing was that rope. Well, the only thing sometimes that keeps our marriages together in those excruciating, difficult, hard, bad times is God. God provides that supernatural glue that can keep us together. And, uh, and well, you need to have that supernatural factor because those hard times are going to come. But let's look at this absolving guilt. 
Here's what this means. Now, there's four ways, basically, that you can deal with guilt in your life. First three don't work. I'll just tell you that right now. <laughs> they're, they're ineffective at dealing with the guilt problem in your life. So if you've got a guilt problem, uh, these are three things to avoid. But, but here, let me tell them to you and then tell you the one thing that does work. Number one is the blame game. Adam and Eve did that at the very first rattle out of the box in the garden. When they first sinned, God went asking, where art thou, Adam? And finally, uh, they come sheepishly out from behind the bush they've been hiding behind with their little fig leaf aprons on, and they're, uh, uh, here I am. And then finally, God gets it out of them that they have disobeyed and eaten of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they ultimately are going to get evicted from the Garden of Eden as a result of breaking themselves off from the source of life and, and from a right relationship with God. But in the initial foray into explaining this, Adam instantly blames Mrs. Adam, Eve, said it was the woman you gave me. And he blamed the serpent and, you know, blame, 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 blame. Look, the blame game is not going to work. You and I, our whole society right now is everybody blaming everybody for everything. It's it's society's fault. It's my mommy and daddy's fault. It's it's my best friend's fault. It's everybody's fault. You know what? The, the Bible makes one thing very clear. Each one of us will stand before God and give an account for himself or herself. We won't be able to blame anybody. I won't be able to say, Sandy made me do this, Sandy made me do that. I'm responsible 100% for Gene. So whatever guilt I have, the blame game won't deal with my guilt problem. Second thing that is won't work if you've got a guilt issue going on in your life, and that's where you just lower the standard. Uh, Oscar Wilde said, I can overcome any temptation because I just give in to it. You know? and, and, uh, the, so temptation wasn't a problem for him, he just gave in to it. You just lower your standard. You just make it where, well, that's not really a bad thing. You sort of rename the sin, call it something prettier than it is, call it a disorder or something, and, and all of a sudden, then it doesn't seem like it's such a problem. I, one time I was preaching and I was talking about how, how TV seems like it tries to rename everything, and, and uh, prostitution was one of the things that I, the passage was talking about. And, uh, and we talked about, I said, we'll call it Lady of the Evening. And uh, I said, the Bible calls this what it was. And, and one lady came up to me after, uh, after it was over, and she said, I, I, was, I used to do exactly what you're saying. It is, she, she had been having sex for money, and she just renamed it in her head as something else to make it kind of acceptable to herself. And it was destructive to her. But once she started naming it what it was, then she got away from it. She was able to repent of it and move a different direction. So lowering the standard is another way that doesn't deal with your guilt. Blame game doesn't deal with your guilt. A third and, and uh, also faulty way of dealing with your guilt is you just run away from it. And that's what we talked about a little bit in the first. If you want to dig back into Facebook or go on to go on to YouTube, the Redeeming the Time Brothers podcast, the first maximum marriage is up there. But uh, one of the, the first things we talked about is once the marriage begins to unravel after the honeymoon phase is over, what happens is the 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 husband and the wife they they begin to move into that place of competition. 
and then they get disillusioned and once they're disillusioned because they, they thought it was going to work out this certain way and they had this unrealistic expectation of how marriage would work there's two kinds of, of expectations that are that are not right one is an unrealistic expectation that causes a problem in a marriage and that's where the they're at and then an unrealized expectation sometimes we have an expectation that's right uh, that we should have but the other person doesn't live up to it but these unrealistic expectations are what we're talking about right now where this husband and this wife that they're looking at each other with these unrealistic expectations that you're gonna make me happy look another human being doesn't have what it takes to make you happy happy comes from God happy doesn't come from another person when you're living in an intimate relationship with another flawed, broken human being, they don't have what it takes to make you consistently happy moment by moment, day after day, year after year. Because they have holes in their souls too. Uh, what Pascal said is we all have a God-shaped vacuum in our life, a God-shaped hole in our life, and only God can fill it. And we spend our whole life, we're going to try to put marriage there, we're going to try to put friends there, we're going to try to put position there, we're going to try to put power there. And what Pascal said was that, was, that will work. Only God can fill that hole in your soul. And when God fills a hole in your soul, then you're not trying to get from your mate. You're trying to give to them because you're, you're allowing the river of life to flow out of you, river of the Holy Spirit to flow out of you into that relationship and, and to make it better and all that it needs to be. That's a powerful thing. That, that's something that's powerful. But what happened, again, in this, in this wrong method of marriage is, is that they run up against these unrealistic expectations and then they run from each other. So they, they admit that there's a problem, but they don't know what to do about the problem. So the guy buries himself into work. The woman buries herself into sort of activities, maybe with the kids or maybe with work or whatever, but they end up heading two radically different directions. And then often, you know when one of the biggest times for divorce in the life of a couple is? It's when the kids graduate from, from school, from college, from high school, all of a sudden divorce spikes because the kids then get out of the home and two people that have been running from the problems in the relationship are sitting across a coffee table or, or a kitchen table looking at one another and they're looking at a stranger because they haven't worked on the marriage. They haven't made a priority out of the marriage to work on it and make it what it's supposed to be, which is a, an image of our relationship to God the Father. It's supposed to be a picture of that covenant relationship, but they haven't done that with it. Instead, they've run from each other. They saw that there were problems. They understood that there were wrong things going on, but they just ran and ran and ran. They, they ran to hobbies. They ran to jobs. They ran to friends. They ran to other lovers. They, they ran and they ran and they ran, and they got nowhere and they found themselves empty at the end of it. God's got something better, man. Here's the fourth and right way to deal with guilt. It's not the blame game. It's not lowering the standard. It's not running from it. It's confessing. Confessing to God the Father that we got this mess wrong. We didn't understand it when we got into it. I'm pretty much convinced nobody that's getting married understands what they're getting into. I mean, I, I try to explain it to them in premarital counseling. I sit down with them, and I'm talking to them, and, and that young love is going on, man. And they're staring starry-eyed at one another, and they're holding each other's hand, and uh, so you can feel the chemistry in the room. And they have no idea what they're getting into. Marriage um, is hard. It can be difficult. Bad marriages take work. Good marriages take more work. We need to work on the relationship, but that means I've got to confess the wrong stuff that I've done. 
When I confess to my Creator the sins that I've done within that relationship, the sins that I have in my heart, now I have a right relationship with Him. And now out of me, as a husband, can flow right actions and right attitudes within the relationship. And I can be the husband that I need to be, and I can be the father that I need to be, because I'm allowing the supernatural flow from God to go through me. But if I've got a blockage of sin that's keeping me from relating to God, right, that supernatural flow cannot come through me. So here's the verses that I told you we were going to read earlier. I didn't want to read them until now because they make sense now. Listen to 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 4. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. You want full joy? You want a joyful relationship, a joyful marriage, a joyful family? Here's, here's the, the uh, recipe. This then is the message that we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. If I'm, if I'm living in a wrong way with my family, with my wife, I'm living in darkness, I'm lying and not doing the truth. He says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, so that that enhances my relationship to my mate, to my friends outside the home, to my children, all of those flow better when I'm walking in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. What's that word all in the Greek mean? It means all, everything, any sin, doesn't matter what it is. No, no, there's no conditional clause on the verse. It says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's dealing with your sin the right way. And then verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Is there anything that you need to repent of today in your marriage? Are you running from your marriage? Are you running to another relationship? Do you got this fantasy relationship that you're you're chasing after? Do you have uh, do, do you have other hobbies that you've made you made a god in your life and you're chasing after that instead of working on your marriage? What do you need to do? What do you need to repent of? Don't play the blame game. Don't sit around pointing a finger at everybody else. Don't lower the standard. Don't run. Confess it to God and and covenant today to make your marriage the best marriage in the United States of America because it's a picture of what our relationship as the church is to God. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, I pray that you'd be with these right now under the sound of my voice. I don't know the struggles that they're facing in their marriage, but God, I know I've struggled in marriage because I know that the, the self in me, the flesh in me would rise up, God. And Lord, I need you to forgive me of those times that I have that I have put myself above everybody else, God. I pray that you'd forgive me for the times that I've, I've chased after other things. I, I've chased after wrong things, God. And I pray that you would help us to make this thing called marriage work and work well, God. Help it to be something that's like a garden that we plant and that we water and that we grow 
produce and resource out of, not something that we just take from, but something that we grow together as a man and a wife, that we grow, that our children might see a, a beautiful, blossoming relationship and what that looks like. Forgive us, God, for selfishness. Forgive us, God. Help us as we move into the remainder of this series of Maximum Marriage. Help us to be, begin to step-by-step step follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening. I hope that you'll share this if you have some friends that are struggling in their marriage that they might know how to do that properly and they might begin to take steps to turn things around. Thank you. Bless you.